thank you all for joining this podcast. As you know, I love the business of aesthetic medicine. I find it fascinating. I find business fascinating. I, I read the Wall Street Journal every day and I've learned so much over the past years. And I'm not only passionate about teaching and sharing, but myself just trying to become a better business person. And I think the reason I like to share a lot of this is it holds me accountable to the things that I preach and things that I say to my colleagues at meetings. And so this uh, podcast is about scaling up while you transition your surgical practice into a real business. And it can also be scaling up your aesthetic practice for that matter. In other words, if you have a med spa uh, or a couple med spas and you're trying to scale up, these are the things that you need to add to actively grow your aesthetic non-surgical practice. Now, I got to tell you, um, years ago, around 20 years ago, I used to talk to my surgical colleagues about um, scaling up or I don't like the word physician extenders, but having other people that you work with and build systems and policies and procedures and train to have help scale up your revenue so that you can be more effective in the operating room, which quite frankly is where you do best financially. So this is my, and, and at the time I had, gosh, I had so many of my colleagues say to me, you know, you don't understand, my patients only want me, um, you know, and now many, many years later, of course, we have a lot of nurses and nurse injectors, but at the time it was considered almost, I don't want to say taboo, but... I can't tell you how many of my colleagues would say that to me and and they're like, "Williams, I don't I don't get how you're saying you do this." I mean, and I and I say, you know, what about the patients who want you and only you and and it just it comes down to the way the messaging you give your team and the messaging that is passed on to your patients. So, for example, you know, one of our PCCs who came to me years ago, Marianne said, "Dr. Williams, Mrs. so and so, you know, she wants to know how we're going to handle this because you always have done her Botox in the past. And I haven't injected a patient now probably in 15 years. But I said to her, I said, Marianne, very simply, you know, we tell Mrs. So-and-so that Dr. Williams doesn't do that anymore. And so it's a matter of, you know, and at the time I somehow knew that this was going to get me to get to the next level of my business. And I believe that if somebody can do something 80% as well as I can do it, it's time to hand it off or teach someone how to do that. So let's talk about scaling up and transitioning your practice, your whether it's your surgical practice and scaling up the non-surgical, or whether you already have a med spa and you're trying to scale up. So I've given this talk a number of times, uh, most recently at the Global Aesthetics Conference in 2023 um, in Miami. So what is scaling up? Well, scaling up by definition, right, is, is to increase the size, amount, or importance of something. And it's usually an organization or process. Um, so that's really, you know, the, the main definition. Um, the statistics are that 90% of businesses will fail in the first, first five years. That's a lot. And there are 28 million firms in the U.S. and only 
will ever make it to a revenue of 4%. We'll only make it to a revenue of a million and 0.4% will only make it to a revenue of $10 million. And so the statistics are not really good for small businesses. Um, and, you know, scaling up is no different. The problem I see is so many of our colleagues want to scale up on a poor foundation. They want to scale up because they think if they saw, if they get the revenue big enough, it will solve a lot of the problems. Now, why? I mean, why do so many businesses fail? Why do so many of them, you know, only 0.4% ever get, to, ever get to $10 million? We know $10 million, there's money everywhere. I mean, why? Well, the reason why is the complexity of running a business goes up exponentially with every single team member. And I'm going to say that again. The the complexity of running a business goes up exponentially each time you add one more team member. And that, so it's not easy, right? Because you have with each team member, you know, we all know the biggest challenges in our business are really, you know, our people, right? And But with each team member you add, you've got a family, you've got emotions, you potentially, we don't tolerate it, but you potentially have drama. Um, you have people show up late. Um, all those things. So building a team and the complexity sounds great to scale up, but it's not that easy to do. So why would we want to scale up and how do we do it? And I'm going to tell you that, at least as I see it. So who are we at the Williams Center? Who is this guy, Williams, you know, even qualified to be telling me how to scale up my business? Um I've been in practice for 30 years. Uh, I've been very involved with the AFPRS. Uh, we have a very busy surgical practice. We're in a 22,000 square foot facility that now we uh, take over. We have the entire facility. Um, we have an organizational chart that includes several divisions. The aesthetic division, plastic surgery, reconstructive part of our practice. We have hair restoration division, non-surgical, which is our rejuva center and uh, an ambulatory surgery center. So we have basically five different entities, a number of people. We have almost 70, 75, 80 employees, uh, anesthesia team. We have C, CEO, COO, comptroller, sales manager, patient satisfaction manager, and business development manager. So we have a big team. Um, and I'm not here to, you know, uh, pat myself on the back. I'm here to validate what I'm telling you. Uh, I have learned over the years. Uh, we are in the top 1% of Allergan's metrics as far as revenue, as far as staff evaluation of management, and as, as far as top 1% of patient surveys evaluating our team. So we're doing, we're doing a few things right. We continue to grow at about 20, 15 to 20, or sometimes 30% per year. And we've done this for many, many times. The only time our revenue dropped was in 2000, uh, 2009, 11 and 2008. And then we just had a little bit of a drip drop here in 2023, but we're, we're on very solid foundation. We have very little debt other than our facility and, uh, we stay focused on our vision. So I think we have the credibility <laughs> to talk about this at least, but what I find in have men, having mentored literally hundreds of young professionals, surgeons, physicians who are trying to grow their aesthetic practice. Um, 
is that it's it's really hard for us as physicians to take the first steps. And so what are the first steps in growing a business? And the first step really is to make a very is a very deliberate mindset. From going from a high performer surgeon or aesthetic injector to become a business leader. Um, it's that difficult because the first thing you have to do is you have to change your mindset to become a leader. It's not about you any longer. It becomes more about your team. And you have to invest the time and the resources into doing this and becoming a business leader because, quite frankly, we're not taught this in our training and it it's not intuitive to most of us. I mean, maybe some of my colleagues it is, but it wasn't to me early on. So we need to spend time working on the business of medicine, not just working in our business. Um, if you haven't read, it's one of my favorite books. I recommend it to everyone. Michael Gerber's The E-Myth Revisited, Why Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. And what he talks about is, you know, and we now have it, a data-driven model for increasing our growth and profitability. We have systems in place for everything. Staff management, training, retention, um, hiring, purchase of technology. And I'm going to go through a few of these. We are obsessed with our systems, policies, procedures, and a system for scaling up the use of non-injectors, which is... We do cover this in our mastermind series, like how to scale up your nurse injectors or injectors. But uh, in the interest of time, I don't have time to go into it completely on this podcast. What I found, because we did a survey of uh, several hundred uh, facial plastic surgeons, but our current research showed that we did here at the Williams Center that the vast majority of aesthetic surgeons do not perform accurate, accurate cost accounting on the aesthetic services that we have and don't have a clear understanding of what profitability or cost accounting is for those. So this is one thing that we we put a lot of emphasis in, the systems we have to do cost accounting on each service in a room that's designated for cool sculpting. And what we did and is we we take the revenue associated with that activity and we take into consideration all aspects of our patient care and we go through this in mastermind but cost of goods the rent pro rata square foot insurance staff time utilities and everything else including potentially marketing and we post that against the revenue associated with that activity that's a system that we use to come up with our cost accounting for that so this is little older data now but it illustrates the point between October 13 and April 15 so we're talking what six months we generated about 293,000 we had about 23,000 in refunds then we got down to cost of goods and the cost of the cards cool sculpting cards Um, we had a gross profit of 210 but when you go all the way down through our marketing our promotion the, the fair market value for the rent, professional fees, everything, we saw $62,000 in an 18-month period of time of net-net profit, okay? It's not a lot of money. I mean, for all of that hard work, you're talking for annually 40000 net per year. And yet, 
so many of our colleagues in trying to run a business just buy the machine on a whim and then now you got to train someone and now you got to find a champion to run the laser and now you got to market it. When in reality, if you don't do cost accounting, you don't know. It's so easy for our colleagues to maybe making money over here and they're losing money over here. So we do cost accounting. That's one system that we put in place. Um, and so to give an example, you know, we also have a system in place for whether we purchase equipment and we in policies like when do we decide to purchase a piece of equipment you know we have a method uh, and system for evaluating all technology before making a purchase and incorporating it into the associated expenses and the distraction i mean many of these pieces of technology end up being a, a distraction to the business and a lot of that that we do we now take into consideration negotiating maintenance contracts and all that other stuff to look in my opinion my humble opinion having done this for many 30 years now or more and looked at technology 80 percent of technology purchases by aesthetic surgeons physicians do not make good sense 80 percent, and of course the equipment companies don't want to hear me say that but by using a policy and procedure we are able to vet equipment very successfully i have three three criteria to buy a piece of equipment one it has to be efficacious with real data let's go back to fractionated co2 there is no real data to show that the architecture of the dermis and subdermis and skin is different a year later after fractional co2 so by this criteria we never bought fractionated CO2 though. Even though we were able to get it, we have a CO2 laser. We could have put a fractionated handpiece on it for about $15,000 about 11, 12 years ago. We never engaged in that technology. And quite frankly, anecdotally, as I look back at my colleagues, most people who have fractionated CO2 wrap it into some other type of treatment or give it away to the patient because <laughs> they bought the technology. Now they got to push it. To me, why not use a, a good TCA chemical peel? Even though that's more ablative, I get it. But it's not truly efficacious with real data. Number two, will the technology pay for itself in two years? The landscape is so changing so rapidly. Unless you have a piece of equipment like a CO2 laser or a pulse laser, something or IPL that you know is still going to be there in two years and have itself paid for, that's the second criteria. And the third is it has to be truly a profitable effort based on cost accounting and what I basically just went through before, the importance of cost accounting. So they're the three criteria, and that's a procedure that we go through on everything. More about systems, policies, and procedures than you get out of the EMF. Pick up uh, Gina Wickham's book called Traction. It's basically the bottom line in that book is he says you put systems in place Systems, policies, and procedures in place for 20% of the things that drive 80% of your business and let make sure your people follow that 100% of the time. And that is a winning move right there. Again, systems in place and policies and procedures in place for 20% of the things that drive 80% of your business and make sure people follow them 100% of the time. You know, most of the time we don't need a system policy procedure and and certainly, you know, 
you can't do it for everything because your people would be paralyzed. Like if someone comes up and there's an issue, you don't want your team to say, oh, excuse me, Mrs. Smith, I have to see what our policy is on that. I mean, no one wants to hear that. But you can put systems in place for 20% of things that drive 80% of your business, and that will that is a winning move. Now, I used to think thing is system policy and procedures in place, but the reality is it's not. That's a very important part of things. But for the remainder of the 80% activity, that is where your culture comes in. Your business culture comes in. And it is so important to have the right culture and to have everyone on your team understand what that culture is. You know, ours is the Williams Center family taking care of each other and you. Um, and we mean that. And, and so I could literally talk about an hour on building culture because it's that's daunting in and of itself. I have colleagues of mine say to me, I'm, I'm, I don't buy that, Williams. You know, I don't, my, my people suck, you know. Um, there's not, you know, the millennials, I, 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 there are good people out there, but you have to take good care of them. You have to make sure that they understand and know what is your culture. And those who, by the way, are not stepping up and becoming part of your culture, if they're not already, when you hire them, and that's, like I said, I could talk about this forever, they need to go. Um, but that's why your culture is so important, um, because say you have an issue what you want is your people to solve that problem along the lines of your culture and know that you will back them up and stick stick up for them and that's why culture is you know people always say you, you know you have a really good culture when it's almost like a cult and and honestly i i feel that way sometimes you know we we have people if they're going to come join us we have them shadow with the nurses and sometimes the nurses will be like nope and that's because they can tell this person's not going to be a good fit in our culture and know how to do the right thing. And without getting all, like I said, I can talk about an hour on it. But so your systems, policies, procedures, and, and culture. Okay, so what are the benefits? Like, why would you want to scale up? I mean, well, there are several, and I'm going to go through them. The market can't be ignored. Just to give you clarity, creating an asset versus a job, economy of scale, Increasing the level of sophistication you have, mitigating business risk and diversification, and to build a sales funnel for the remainder of your business, and then leverage versus performance. As a surgeon, I don't care how good you are, there's only so many hours in a day, and you can only perform so many surgeries or inject so many patients to yourself if you really want to grow. Uh, enhancing the full value of your asset or stakeholders, and then finally is fulfillment by building a good team. So let's talk about the first one, okay? The market cannot be ignored, market changes. Again, when I first started adding injectors years ago and scaling up, my colleagues told me I was crazy. But I saw the projections. I saw the projections in 2001 and two and three that showed that Botox was going to continue to grow to become a multi-million dollar, potential billion dollar industry. And I saw that opportunity and said, I'm not gonna be left behind. So we started to scale up our injectors. As it turns out, I was right. And as it turns out, this opportunity is gonna continue at least until 2030 that we can see 
and we're talking about a twenty-five you know billion dollar industry, um, which is massive, right? So we can't ignore our market changes unless we want to become like a blockbuster and become obsolete. So we've got to embrace this. Number two, um, by scaling up and doing it correctly, you actually have more clarity and better decision making and more uh, peaceful life, I should say. Um, you know, there's no problem in our industry that has not already been solved in another industry, in business is business is business. So if you become a student of business and you learn how to scale up, your life is easier, believe it or not, not more difficult with more people. Um, Jim Collins, who is one of my absolute favorite authors who go good to great, talks about this in his book. And he had someone, again, if you haven't read Good to Great, you gotta. But he had one of his professors say, Dr. Collins, um, you know, I know you talk about, you know, what if I just want to have this? I want a small operation. I don't want, I, I get what you're saying, right? I get what you're saying about good leadership and building a better business. But like, what if I just want to have five employees and have a coffee shop? I don't, and what he said, I have found to be true in my life. When you do things correctly, as far as building a business and on a good, sound foundation, with systems, policy, procedure, culture, a chain of accountability and all those things that go along with it, clarity that comes by understanding this better gives you better decision making. So that's the second reason, is to gain clarity. Why would you scale up and learn how to do it the right way? Number two is to gain some clarity. Number three is to create a business that's an asset versus a job which is of course no value. So let me give an example. You know, a surgeon who's doing $15 million annually, the 70,000 or 55, whatever, $70,000 face off, doing 200 a year, I figured the math out. That business is a worth of no value at all, whatsoever. 15 million in revenue because that person, that surgeon, that high performer is so relevant that if something were to happen to him or her, the business has no value. Let's flip that around. The non-surgical aesthetic business doing two, 15 million with a 20% EBITDA or profit at a value of about, um, you know, a seven multiple EBITDA is worth about $21 million. So it behooves us to, to look at, and why? Because the non-surgical is much more of a plug and play operation. There's no one key player. And that's why, so, Number three reason is to create an asset versus just create a job for yourself, which of course is worth no value. Number four is economy of scale. As you scale up, as you become, do more and more and more revenue and maybe have more and more locations, your value goes up and your ability to take advantage of this economy of scale goes up. What do I mean by that? On two sides, okay? One side is I guarantee you the operation down the street that is our competitor that's doing a fraction of what we're doing is paying a lot, lot more for their Botox than we are. So how do they get patients in the door? They got to advertise more. Okay. They got, they've got a discount more and it really becomes a strain on their business by being larger for us and being, you know, uh, having been around and running a better business. We have an economy of scale that allows us to be more profitable with, um, you know, with the same transaction, uh, so to speak. 
The other side of economy of scale, which is the fourth reason I say it's important to scale up, is you get better talent. You know, when I was a single operator years ago, I didn't have a marketing team. I was lucky I had a website. Now we have, you know, four full-time people in our marketing team and we're looking to add to that and we have a hierarchy. And the thing is we have higher level talent than I could have possibly afforded with just me alone. So that's the fourth reason. And the level of sophistication regarding attracting talent is, is the fifth reason. It's a lot easier for me to attract really, really good talent because we're a cool place to work now that we're much bigger than just a smaller operation. So that's the fifth reason. Increase in level of sophistication of a, and your ability to attract awesome talent. The sixth reason is diversification. So if you're a surgeon and all you do is facelifts, God forbid something happened to you. If you're a surgeon and you do facelifts and you just do injectables for fillers, you're not very diversified. If you've got a multitude of people injecting and you do hair transplant over here and you do facelifts, you do rhinoplasties and you do, and you're well diversified, you are less dependent on the prevailing economy. I mean, let's say if we hit into a recession, the first thing that goes is the high-end surgical stuff, right? Um, so you're less dependent on a prevailing economy or one single individual. So that's the sixth reason to, to scale up, which is diversification. Seven is to build your referral base. Think of the funnel and out the bottom drops, the mommy makeover and out of the bottom drops, a facelift. By building that big funnel, increasing awareness, and now there's interest people are coming in for Botox. There are many, many, many more coming for Botox than actually drop out of the bottom for a facelift. So we have a built-in referral base with less dependent on dependency on outside sources. You know, if you have a practice, they, they call it, you know, one of the problems you have with one of your referrals being an elephant is yours. You are so dependent on that. And in the business world, what a lot of people try to do is buy their main, you know, referral source. Uh, because they're, they worry about what happens and if I lose that referral source. By building our Rejuva Center non-surgical and continuing to grow it and make it profitable, we are feeding our surgical practice and we become less dependent on the dermatologist or whoever down the road decides there's something that we've done to offend them. You know, So it number seven is to build your referral pace. Eight is the concept I talk about, you know, performance versus leverage. Performance, like if you're a facelift surgeon and you're doing $75,000 facelifts, right? The outlier. You are a serious high performer, but you're not leveraged. And the minute, you know, the jockey falls off the horse, the horse stops. By being leveraged, you can travel, you can go out of town, you can speak at meetings, you can become a better leader and your time is leveraged because now you're a leader and you have a multitude of people injecting. So performance versus leverage comes into play um, as far as you know, putting it to the bottom line. So understanding the difference between being a high performer and being someone who's leveraged. So you are much more leveraged and that's item number eight 
Nine is to create and grow an asset where all buy it shareholders win. As you continue to grow that profitability that you see, whether it's a few hundred thousand or half a million or a million or whatever it is, as you have stakeholders in that, and you can do this with the medical service organization, or again, this is another whole conversation, but this is why private equity has been so attracted to our space. Because as they start to bring in people and add on, part of scaling up in a well-run business, adding up profitability, all those who own part of that asset, the value of that goes up. And again, it's, it's hard to explain it in a one minute period of time here, but suffice it to say, you can create and grow value in an asset where all stakeholders win as you grow that asset. And that's number nine. And then finally, and this is something that's near and dear to me, is fulfillment from mentoring and making it different in the lives of the people on your team. You know, I didn't understand this years ago. I, I was a, you know, I was a, a wrestler in high school. Yeah, we had a team. Um, and, but, and I, I played some football early on and I, we had a team. But as I went off into college and medical school, I learned how to succeed as an individual. You know, I learned how to, and to me, the gifting was taking care of our patients. And I always looked at that as a noble profession because we were helping other people or taking other people. What I didn't understand is in the business world, how fulfilling and rewarding it can be to help your people. In other words, all the people that work with me and my team, if I am successful at making their lives better, creating a better and more fulfilling and enriched environment to work in, um, that's extremely fulfilling to me. So by making, by mentoring and making a difference in the lives of those you work with, number 10 reason to scale up is it's more fulfilling than just being successful on your own. And anyone who's a servant leader understands that it's not about them. It's about their team. And I, it gives me a lot of joy to know that we have created something very special for all the people who work with and for us. So that is probably the most important reason. Not only are we taking care of each other or our, our patients, but we're taking care of each other. So I've given you 10 reasons, the benefits of scaling up your aesthetic service, whether it's um, uh, non-surgical or whether it's a surgeon trying to scale this up on the side. If the market cannot be ignored. You don't want to become a blockbuster. If we're not changing in the inside as fast as the world is changing on the outside, we're going to be obsolete. Clarity, according to Jim Collins, knowing you're doing the right thing. Creating an asset versus a job. Scaling up the benefit of scaling up with economy of scale, level of sophistication, diversification, and building your own referral network or funnel. Leverage in performance, enhancing the value of the asset to all stakeholders and fulfillment, which brings me great joy. So how did we get to where we are? Well, between 1992 and 2004, I grew a business just like everyone else. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But around 2005 was my transition point 
when I realized that. I realized I had friends who ran a billion dollar corporation with thousand, a couple thousand employees and they were home by dinner every night and um, I was working way too hard. I had an epiphany and realized that I needed to make a transition. I needed to become a student of business. Over the years, I've used a vast number of business coaches, consultants. I work, I'm part of a business development group. And then between 2012 and 16, I mentored and coached about 50 different aesthetic surgeons. The bottom line is, it's a process um, of execution, continued learning and dedication to working on the business. Change your mindset from just working in the business and getting the revenue going with your surgical practice. I have put, a, we do have a mastermind course um, that runs a full year on how to grow your business. I've partnered with uh, Brian Hayes from the Orion Strategic Consulting, and we have a kickoff mastermind that is a two, about a two and a half day endeavor um, that we do annually. And this year we're doing it in Savannah, Georgia. Jump on our website, dredwinwilliams.com, if you're at all interested in finding out more about that. I have a a book called The White Coat, uh, White Coat Entrepreneur, which is basically, you know, my story and how we got to where we are. If you have any interest in things you'd like to hear me cover on the podcast, uh, please let me know. I try not to have anything that is proprietary or commercial because I don't want, to me, this is very different than the meetings where, you know, you got all these consultants and marketing people that are trying to sell their services. Um, I try to keep this very objective and very honest to anyone who might potentially be interested in growing their practice or building their practice. Um, so I thank you for listening to my podcast. I have been, hope you have an awesome day today. And, um, you know, let me know. Share it with your friends. If you find this interesting, share it with your friends, colleagues. And if you have any other questions or things you'd like to see me cover, let me know. So hope you have a great day.